Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Football correspondent Alex Crook and European football expert. It is Kevin Hatchard. On today's pod, the Kane craze continues as His Royal Highness Harry manages to hit the heights. A record breaker once again. He is now Tottenham's all-time top scorer. Everton win for the first time since October. United just about hang on. And Liverpool's 2023 is becoming the year of the slog. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. There's the reception for Sean Dyche, who gets a warm welcome from the crowd. But he knows January was dry and February will be fraught. You get a structure. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what is going to happen. You, you know what he wants. Yeah. And that 4-1-4-1 system really, really worked. It did. The fans are on their feet. They're urging them to get forward once again. One thing that I, I knew Sean Dyche would do, it would make Everton competitive. The corner taken by McNeil, far side, deep towards the far post. Anana is out there, Henry from Tarkovsky, and they've scored! For all the qualities in football teams and football clubs, you need a heart, you need desire, you need pride, you need the passion to go and deliver a performance, and I was very pleased with that today. Everton rolled the dice, and all of a sudden they're taking their chance! Everyone's different, everyone has different ways, everyone has different learning styles, everyone different, not agendas, but different reasons why they may think things are going wrong. So we had to align all that. Everton were on their worst run of form in 28 years, and Arsenal were having the time of their lives. That's all it is. League leaders or not, it's a start. And I think they're going to get right behind the way Sean Dyche wants to play. Whoa, what a weekend. Hello, gentlemen. Hope we are well. Top two beaten away to nil uh, by a solitary goal. Uh, Two missed opportunities. One for Manchester City. We'll get there in just a second. But firstly, uh, for Arsenal, bearing in mind what happened to Manchester City, uh, Mikel Arteta said to me afterwards that they have to bounce back. Otherwise, they're in risk of losing momentum. But I'm sure, Kevin, he'll be rubbing his hands with glee having seen what happened to Pep's team on Sunday. Yeah, it's a big let-off. I thought they were really stymied very, very well by Everton. I know it's a bit of a cliche. Sean Dyche comes in, organises them and, you know, gets them going. But actually, it's exactly what happened. Sometimes cliches are there for a reason. And I thought it was everything we expected it to be. And it just underlines what an amazing coach he is because he came in with not very much preparation time and they looked a completely different team without the ball. So organised, were able to show Arsenal into areas where they didn't want to go and kept them at arm's length. And you look at the passion displayed by some of those Everton players, night and day between what's gone on before. So really quite a remarkable performance. 
Yes, I'll give you some details of something that a couple of people said to me after the game as well on that. Um, But Kayu Saka has gone a little bit quiet in a few games now. That's both the Manchester City game and the Everton game. But I think that was down to the work rate uh, of Mikalenko. And surprise inclusion in Dwight McNeil was playing on that left-hand side. Had worked with Sean Dyche before. Knew exactly what the manager wanted from him. And we should credit Sean Dyche, as you say, for the work that he did in a short space of time. But Crook, is it churlish of me to suggest that... This is how Everton and their players always start when they get a new manager. Frank took over. They won 4-1 against Brentford and got hold of the crowd. Rafa won four of his first five games and then only won two before he was sacked in January. Carlo Ancelotti turned up and all of a sudden he beat Burnley at home. This is just what Everton do. New manager bounce. I think it goes further than that, actually. I, I think I heard a start over the weekend that the last 14 Everton managers have avoided defeat in their first game in charge. So I think you've got a point. Um, I think question marks have to be asked about the players and where that kind of performance level was when Frank Lampard was in charge, just in terms of effort and endeavour. I think equally you have to say that maybe that is a reflection on the relationship between Frank Lampard and some of those players by the end of his tenure. But it's no surprise, is it, that Sean Dyche has got them going. I was watching the game with Ray Parler in the press room at Brighton. He was... He was nervous. He was concerned about this fixture. He thought it was a really difficult game for Arsenal to navigate. And, and so it proved that actually, speaking to a few Arsenal fans over the weekend, they'd have been quite happy with a point. I guess if you're looking for a positive, it's that there isn't really much damage done because Manchester City, having lost their game, we're now another game ticked off. Therefore, Arsenal, by default, are a game closer to the Premier League title. But they have lost their last two now in League and Cup. So let's see how much character there really is in this dressing room and how they bounce back against Brentford next weekend. Yeah, character in that uh, Everton dressing room came to the fore. And I suppose James Tarkovsky afterwards, and he was sort of not bemoaning, but sort of realising that there's hard work certainly to come. But one of the things that Sean Dyche told me was, is that uh, in his feedback session, nobody got everyone to write a little note about how they felt about where things had gone wrong under the previous regime. He said he got a couple of notes from people who wanted to apologise to the previous manager for not doing more and letting them down. Um, That maybe tells you a little bit more of the story. Terrific energy, though. Tight gaps, not allowing Arsenal to pass their way through them. I think they'll stay up if they defend like that, Everton. A clean sheet was incredibly important. Those 1-0s are going to be absolutely vital over the course of the season. They've got some big fixtures upcoming. They have Leeds United in the next few weeks, as well as the Merseyside derby, which is live and only on talk sport. Um, and he's got a great chance, hasn't he? Because there's a there's still a huge number of games to play between now and the end of the season. We are only halfway through. Um, Kevin, I don't know if you heard this afterwards, but I spoke to Arteta in the tunnel, and he said um, he said <laughs> he said to me, Burnley played well. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, in a way that that's a mark of respect, I guess, because it's such a, an identifiable. Um, style that Daesh has and I thought was brilliant and and I think you know Arteta won't have been surprised by what he saw I think he'll be a little alarmed at how Arsenal struggled to to break that Everton team down I think Everton are going to be fine now I I, I think they're they're not going to get relegated I, I know that's quite bold at this stage but they're not going to get relegated that squad's too good and they finally got a coach who can set them up with and without the ball and so I think they're going to be absolutely fine you know, they've spent a huge amount of money and rightly have been criticised for that. Um, but the residual effect of that is you have quality players in lots of positions. I think they're going to be absolutely fine. 
Kev, I said at the beginning of the season I thought they'd be fine. Um, uh, probably more because I thought that uh, one like you, they had a squad that was good enough to stay up in comparison to others around them, but also because I thought that Frank would get the best out of them. You had a little dig there, a little subtle dig about the coaching, suggesting that Frank might not um been able to set them up without the ball, something that he did in the early stages. And you can't do things, that with Sam, Kev. You can't you can't have little jibes at had, Frank Lampard. We had a big jibe whole, then. It's we'll have, a, we'll have a whole we'll have a whole <laughs> we'll have a whole weekend of, of WhatsApp WhatsApp messages about how, how bad this performance proves that Frank Lampard was. When in truth, all it does is show that the Everton players weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing beforehand. Yes, Sean Dyche is probably a better coach than Frank Lampard. He's got a hell of a lot more experience, especially at Premier League level. There's no doubt about that. But to turn around and say after one 90-minute football match that this absolutely legitimises the fact that Frank Lampard is not a great coach or not a good coach is, is I, I just think, so churlish and so easy to no, say. No, 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 but it's about, yeah, and I accept that, and you can't do that based on one game. What you can do is you can look at their track records side by side. Yeah, but they started doing this, right? They started doing this. When Frank went in last um, um, February, March, April, they started to play in this awful way, which he admitted. He said, I don't want to play like this. I just, and we need to get results. So we need to sit behind the ball and we need to dig out results, which is exactly what they did. And they stayed in the division. This year, they tried to be a little bit more expansive, which is why they've got themselves into certain bits of trouble that have cost them losing matches and, and losing points. So Sean Dyche has come in and, and backed them up, made sure that they're hard to beat and nicked a goal from a set piece. Now, Everton... And their supporters will put up with that for six months. They'll stay in the league. It'll get to next year and they'll start crowing about wanting more expansive football. That's what happens every single time Everton change the manager. Yeah, and that's going to be the test for Sean Dyche going forwards because he, I think, does bristle at the fact that everybody calls him a safety first coach who can only play one way. I think he is a broader coach than that. I think he has got the capability to play in a different way. He has to prove that, of course. But I do think, and we've been down this road before, but I do think you look at Frank's coaching career so far and he is yet to demonstrate that he can play that expansive football on a regular basis while still having a team that can compete without the ball. He wasn't able to do it at Chelsea in the long term. He's unfortunate in the sense that he's been at clubs in a state of flux. Obviously, Chelsea, there's always something going on in the background and they've had that boom and bust culture for a long, long time. But that Derby squad had a lot spent on it and he couldn't get them promoted. Chelsea did an adequate job. I think there was a certain degree, not from him, but a certain degree of hiding behind the transfer embargo on his behalf, not from him, but on his behalf. I think he did an adequate job there. And with Everton, ultimately, yes, he saved them last season. Yes, they got some good results at home. But the team lacked structure, I believe. Now, the players have to take some blame for that. But I think he does too. And he's yet to demonstrate at Premier League level that he can take a team forward. If it was Steven Gerrard, it'd be a different... No, I'd say the same about him. 100% (laughs) same about him. I think he's got the same problem. At Villa, he took a talented group of players and ultimately took them nowhere. And I think Unai Emery will show over the course of the next few months that obviously he's more experienced and more nuanced coach at this stage. Gerard and Lampard might get there. They're not there yet. Nowhere near that yet. Okay. Uh, well, congratulations to Sean Dyche uh, for getting uh, the three points on the board. Helped, I think, Crook, and maybe uh, I'm wrong here, uh, by the introduction of Jorginho. Um, because uh, after he came off the bench, uh, he came off the bench and within 10 seconds, 
Arsenal had conceded a goal. touch and that was provided by Harry Kane six yards out to Prodhome. First Premier League goal for Harry Kane. His 12th goal in 11 Premier League games and on Oscars night the spotlight is picking out Harry Kane again. Playing up front is the hardest place to play. I think he's really underrated. And Harry Kane has done what he does best at Tottenham's milestone man just keeps writing more and more pieces of personal history. He's that level. He's one of the best strikers in in the world. Fantastic player, great professional. Nobody scores more goals in North London derbies than Harry Kane. A moment of absolute magic from Harry Kane from the left leg. It's Tottenham 2, Arsenal 1. Poke towards goal. Kane slides it in. Goal number 300 for club and country. It's true. Uh, Harry Kane is our... Our main uh, striker is one of the best on the on the world. Really, is one of the best striker that I, I yet in my, my career. He is to be cherished, Harry Kane, a striker of absolute top quality. Now an opportunity for Hoiberg. Here is Kane, and Harry Kane has done it. Harry Kane becomes Tottenham's greatest ever goal scorer. Jimmy Greaves' record has fallen. That's what it's down to: just dedication and hard work. It's got me where I am now, and. You know, I've got plenty of years left to, to hopefully keep improving and, and keep getting better. Um, let's move on to Tottenham against uh, Manchester City. Uh, what is wrong with Manchester City, Crook? Because I wonder whether or not Pep's trying to wrestle back control of that dressing room because he knows they've slipped off his high standards. By letting Cancelo go, and look, we know that Cancelo, when he's not in the team, be quite vocal about the fact that he thinks he should be in the team and he does cause a little bit of disruptions. Ask Fernando Santos. Um, but to leave Kevin De Bruyne on the bench for tactical reasons, that shows to me that this is a guy who is flexing his muscles. Yeah, I, I make you right about that. It, it was a, an eyebrow-raising decision in one way, but then actually, if, if you look at Kevin De Bruyne's form um, this season... And I think he's struggling to justify a place in the first team. And that's not to say he's become a bad how, player how, overnight. How is, he, how is he struggling to justify his form, with his form? Uh, his statistics are absolutely off the charts. He's got, let me, I'm just going to check this because I make this is right. But the last time I, I did him, which was last Friday night, he'd had 16 assists and scored six goals in his last four games. So, I mean, that, that's, is that not productive enough? I think by his high standards... He slipped, and I think this is the this is the frustration with Pep Guardiola. It's not that his team are playing terribly, but they aren't playing to the extraordinary standards that he set them. Uh, that was a problem with Cancelo as well. His form this season was not comparable with last. I think the Phil Foden situation is is a really interesting one. I know he was out with illness in inverted commas yesterday, but obviously he starts more games on the bench than he does in the starting lineup. Jack Grealish is getting a run of games. I think he's still struggling to justify his price tag. And then you've got Erling Haaland. And again, this is going to seem very churlish because he's banged in goals for fun. Since the World Cup, he's played seven games in the Premier League. He's fired five blanks. So again, that isn't Erling Haaland hitting his standards. We'll caveat that and say in one of the other games, he got a hat-trick. Um, but I, so there is a lot wrong with Manchester City at this moment in time. Um, I think it's a golden opportunity for Arsenal to win the title. I think brilliant 
diversion tactic from Pep to start bemoaning the travel time down to London. He's completely given us a, a new narrative. But fundamentally, Manchester City are not playing as well this season, nowhere near it as they have in previous campaigns. And I heard Kev on Trans-Europe Express last night, he was saying that when the Champions League draw was made, he didn't fear at all that Manchester City could get knocked out. I just sense that maybe Kev is a little bit more worried on City's behalf about that tie now. Well, first of all, you know, someone who lives in Manchester, um, I can tell you that getting down to London recently has been very difficult because the trains are all messed up, always on strike. So I can understand his frustration. You know, it's tough for him especially in the sort of, you know, those private jet environments, because they're really they're very luxurious and they can just knock you off kilter a little bit. Um, but um, let's talk a little bit about his his attitude, because I, I know that when he was at Barcelona and he felt he was losing the group, he rang Sir Alex and also Jose Mourinho and said, look, what should I do here? How do you sort of handle this when you feel as if you've got to the end with a couple of players? Do you clear them out? Or do you choose that this is the time for you to move on? And I think Sir Alex has said to him, you just have to churn them out. You have to get rid of them. Even if they're big names, you just have to move them on. Something that Sir Alex said to Gary Neville, I think, when he went to Valencia, if there's characters there that are too big or whatever and have started to influence others, you've just got to get rid of them and move on. Gary didn't do that and he thinks that was to his detriment. Um, But Pep decided that at Barcelona, he'd just had enough and needed to move on and go and have a sabbatical. I think this time, though, I think he's decided to stay and it's the players who are going to pay the price, Kevin. He's been very, very prickly. I've spoken to him a couple of times over the last few weeks and he is, I mean, he's always on the edge of spiky, but he is full on sharp right now. Yeah, and we had that extraordinary rant in the press conference, didn't we, a few weeks ago about the general hunger of the team and the standards that they'd slip below. And Joao Cancelo moving him on to Bayern. It's quite interesting that Joao Cancelo said, no, 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 I haven't fallen out with Pep at all. It was nothing to do with that. And Pep's... Did he quite say it like that? No, but he... He sort of of said, he said, that's not the reason, Yes, yeah, he kind of denied that there'd been a a full-on falling out. But you're absolutely right. We know what Joao Cancelo's like. He's spiky at the best of times in terms of, you know, when he's in the team, he's demanding. But when he's out of the team, then, you know, you're not going to hear the end of it. So that shows a certain amount of brutality that a certain other coach that I'm sure we're going to talk about in this show uh, isn't showing at the moment. (laughs) And it's a really hard thing to do. It's it's probably the hardest thing to do in football to rebuild a team while you're trying to be competitive at the top end. And not many coaches can do it. Not many clubs can do it because it's really hard for that message to still resonate after so long. You know, he's kind of in uncharted territory here to have stayed as long as he has at City, to have agreed a new contract. And there are journalists who who have said that he was very close to accepting uh, possibly the Brazil job. He was tempted by that. But the fact that he's decided to stay on and try and win that Champions League, try and win more Premier Leagues, you know... that is probably his hardest challenge since getting there because to maintain yeah. those standards is really, really tricky. And the one that he's doing this season that he hasn't done in previous seasons, I don't think, is really pushed to bring through young players. He's talked about Rico Lewis a lot. And to do that at the expense of established players is a really hard dressing room dynamic to find. Okay, before we move on, though, we must pay tribute to his Royal Highness, Prince Harry who's got his 267th goal uh, for Tottenham Hotspur, overtaking Jimmy Greaves. 
Um, if there's one thing that makes him so good, Kevin, just very quickly, what is it? Dedication and consistency. It's a really hard thing to do. And it shows you why you shouldn't write off a young player. I think you looked at him in loan spells and looked at him in the early days and thought he wasn't going to make it, wasn't up to much. Perseverance, dedication to the craft, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I, rem- I remember doing the early games of his Tottenham career and he was, um, it was when Roberto Soldado was in the squad. And uh, he was getting the Europa League games and Soldado was playing in the Premier League. And I was doing those Europa League games for ITV. I remember saying, Kane is able, and I was championing this cause. This He should be playing. So Soldado was so bad. I was like, he's got to be playing in the Premier League games. And eventually got into the team. And once he got into the team, he hasn't stopped scoring since. It's been terrific. And one of the key things for me, is he is the dedication is great. And you speak to any of his mates, it's all like he doesn't do anything else. He's got no friends. He doesn't chill out. He doesn't go anywhere. He just literally concentrates only on football. That's a bit extreme, but you know what I mean. He's properly dedicated. But it's the fact that he takes so many shots early for me, which outfoxes goalkeepers. I think it's the way his game has evolved as well, because he's no longer just that number nine. You know, the last couple of years dropping into midfield, showing his array of of talent and. <laughs> We've been talking about Erling Haaland. If you compare the two, Erling Haaland is a penalty box poacher. Doesn't touch the ball much outside of when he gets opportunities to put the ball in the back of the net. Harry Kane is the opposite because he plays in a team that don't create many opportunities. So quite often he has to create his own chances. And the fact he's managed to consistently score goals and challenge for the golden boot in a team that haven't really ever challenged for the Premier League title, I think is incredible. And I'm interested to see what he does now because he's got that Tottenham goal-scoring record. I think he wants the Premier League goal-scoring record. Whether he does that in a Tottenham shirt or the colours of another club, I think he's going to be one of the big talking points come the summer. Oh, here he is getting excited again that Manchester (laughs) United might sign a player. Um, Let's move on to someone who's a little bit less excited. Liverpool? Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Traore into the area, plays it across the face of goal. Neves! 3-0 to Wolves! That's that! Game over! And Liverpool's season goes from bad to worse. I have a real lack of confidence in this Liverpool team at the moment. Season over maybe for Liverpool! 
in the Premier League. The fallout has been incredible. I can prepare a lot, but I can't, and I can't go fly into a challenge for them. That's not possible. So, yeah, that's tough now. It's really tough. Sacked in the morning, being thrown Jurgen Klopp's way up. Bet's a long, long time since he's heard that song at him. Questions need to be asked of the recruitment and the money FSG give Liverpool, mm. especially when Liverpool were on top. Let's not forget, two years ago, Liverpool were considered the best team in the world. Liverpool season further into crisis. At a joyful Molyneux, Wolverhampton won just three, Liverpool nil. Oh dear, what is wrong with Jurgen Klopp? Liverpool beaten away from home uh, again. Uh, Wolves 3-0 winners. I've got to say, I thought that defending in this game was nothing short of abysmal. I was going to ask you actually, Kev, what is wrong with Jurgen Klopp? I mean, probably you had to sit and watch that defensive display. I mean, I'd be quite spiky and prickly afterwards if my defenders, defenders had played uh, like that. But he can't keep coming out and having these spats with the press, can he? I mean, I saw a clip where he started, uh, he was asked a question by a journalist. He dismissed the journalist as someone he wouldn't talk to, refused to talk to. He would only ask it if somebody else asked the question. Somebody else then said, well, look, I'll ask the question. And he said, well, only if you can repeat exactly what he said. He then did do that and then went on to sort of bat it away, really, more than anything else with his answer. I thought uh, I thought that was unnecessary. And I don't think it's becoming of a, of a Liverpool manager who, and we've spoken about this a long time in the past, about how it's really important for whoever is the Liverpool manager, the Manchester City manager, the United manager, the Chelsea manager, Tottenham, whoever, to be front of house representative it's something that clubs are increasingly looking at in terms of their PR and he is and Pep are very 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 um, antagonistic at this moment in time why is that? I think he lets himself down sometimes in that regard I think that's probably the only the only area where he does to be honest I I think he does let that emotion get to him I think he can be a little petty Um, maybe it's a diversionary tactic um, to kind of, you know, take the heat off the players, but the players shouldn't have the heat taken off them. I, I think they've been really, really poor in the last few weeks. Joel Matip's performance I thought was extraordinary. Um, I've very rarely seen him struggle in that manner. Um, that was a very, very poor display. And it's confidence. I think it's a mix of confidence. I think it's very, very similar, I think, to the title defence season. Um, where they had key injuries to players and lost confidence collectively. And it's a very hard thing to turn that round. They did turn that round that season and they managed to finish third. I think they qualified for the Champions League, finished third. But I can't see that coming this time around. And you almost feel like you've got to the, the stage of the season where it's about building for next season. How that impacts their summer transfer business, who knows? And obviously there's all this uncertainty about whether the club's going to be sold. So well, it's a tough time well, That's at the a key thing. That is a key thing. But also, we mentioned this on the podcast, I think, last Thursday, and I was saying that one of the issues that they've had, especially in the January transfer window, is the fact that the club appears to be totally up for sale, really. It, you know, there's a lot of talk about investment and whether or not it, they're looking for a, the opportunity to sell just a big stake in it or whether or not they feel as if a wholesale is going to be the way forward. I think the indications are now that they're, they're trying to shift it on. And if that is the case, what does happen next? Because Michael um, uh, Edwards already left as the sporting director last year. That caused, I think, a little bit of disruption. Julian Ward stepped into his shoes, although he's credited with signing Luis Diaz. Ultimately, he's leaving at the end of the season as well. So there's another big churn of staff behind the scenes. 
all doesn't seem to be 100% well at Liverpool for whatever reason. And it's certainly not well on the pitch because the indecision at the back for all three of the goals was crippling. The first goal, the Matty Pone goal, I mean, was jaw-droppingly bad. Dawson's goal that he scored, Gomez and Allison go for the same ball. Trent, for both those two goals, just not sensing danger. The Matip goal is going across the line. I mean, at least throw yourself at it and try and clear it off the line. For the second goal, you know, why has he allowed Dawson? He's gone one way. Dawson's gone the other way. Dawson's in a huge amount of space in the penalty area. I mean, it was just a guy who's just not got the radar for sensing where the problem is going to be. And then Neves stealing through, running off the back of Thiago, getting in between Gomez and Matip for the third goal. I mean, it was just another miserable, miserable day to be a Liverpool fan, Alex. I thought they reached their low point when they were battered at Brighton. It could have been seven or eight that day down at the Amex in the league game. I think the point you've made about Michael Edwards is key. Not so much because it left them in a bit of a hole, but I think you have to try and pick apart why would Michael Edwards, someone at the top of his game, working for one of the biggest clubs, why would he just decide to leave? Because he didn't go into another job. And I think he saw this coming. I don't think he was particularly confident in the massive contract they were going to give Mo Salah. I think he knew that Sadio Mane's departure would be a problem. I think he knew it would be an ageing squad that maybe the owners wouldn't have the financial muscle to properly replace. And I think he felt, if I leave now, my stock is high. If I stay here, then my stock is only going to get lower. Clever. Uh, because that certainly is the case. There's no doubt about that. But uh, Jurgen Klopp's got some problems to fix, and I wonder how easy it is it's going to be to fix them. Good news for Wolves, though, to score three goals in a game. I mean, that's probably the biggest and most startling statistic of the weekend. Uh, Manchester United beat Crystal Palace by two goals to one. Uh, United held on, showed good character to do so after Casemiro was sent off. Uh, There was a spell just after that where the game was starting to turn. And they were getting completely overrun. They had a situation where the two holding midfielders were Fernandez and uh, oh, I can't even remember who it was now, but there was two attacking midfielders playing deep and it, they were just getting completely overrun. They brought on Marcel Sabitzer off the bench and all of a sudden things stiffened up and he added a little bit of uh, control. They, they solidified that position, but they did concede a goal during that period as well. There's an interesting theory as to why Crystal Palace sparked into life and it wasn't necessarily Casemiro grabbing someone round the neck crook. No, Darren Ambrose was uh, was covering this game pitch side and, and he spotted a couple of minutes earlier that Anthony had tried a rainbow flick over the head of one of the Palace players. And I think he said to his colleague, next time he's, he's in a position where he's in possession, he's going to get crunched. And of course, that's what happened. Jeffrey Schlapp trying to take retribution. Uh, I still think Casemiro's reaction was childish and foolish for a player of his experience. I think it's one of those situations that looks far worse in slow motion and yeah. in still picks than if you run the tape in real time. But, but you can't, can't do it. No, and I don't see that United would be successful with their appeal. And it's a problem because they've got two grudge matches against Leeds back-to-back. Uh, you'll be commentating on Wednesday. I'll be in the stands. Then they go to Ellen Road uh, at the weekend. Then they've got Leicester at home. Casemiro misses all three games. I think that signing of Sabitz are now on deadline day looks inspired because they would have been really light in midfield. But I think what impressed me about United was the fact they managed to dig in. Martinez with that brilliant block at the end. There's a character now and there's a confidence and there's a determination that Eric Ten Hag has instilled that simply hasn't been there for a number of years. We mentioned it at the beginning of the season. We said to you what they'd done during pre-season to try and rebuild that confidence and cohesion between the group. We talked to you about the, the fact that there was a problem. The coaching staff walked in and couldn't believe how low the morale was and how low the confidence was 
uh, amongst the group and how they had to rebuild that. And you might have seen it at the beginning of the season where they're all slapping hands every time they, they, they stopped a goal from going in. And that sort of camaraderie was built up over the course of the season. You don't see that as much now, by the way, when they, when they do make a, a block or whatever, they don't do that sort of hugging each other like they've scored a goal as much. It seems to be a more genuine character that has been bought out by the foundations the manager laid in right at the beginning. Benny McCarthy told us about that at the beginning of the campaign. He's on the staff at Manchester United. And I think that was really, really key. Uh, talk to me about Marcel Sabitzer. Why do I like him so much? Is it because his name's Marcel Sabitzer and he just sounds like a really cool dude? Or what, what has he got, uh, Kev? Because you've seen a lot of him. He's, I know he's box to box. I know I've seen him score goals. I think he's been brilliant in the Champions League. I just really like him. I don't know if it's because he looks like something out of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I just I just, I just, just like the guy. Yeah, I, I, what's him? Impressive about Zabitzer, I think, is the way he's changed his game. Because if you look at the early part of his career, he was somebody that could play out wide, was an attacking midfielder, didn't worry too much about the defensive side of the game. And then Julian Nagelsmann started working with him and said, look, I think you can be a much more rounded midfielder. And so he went away, worked on the tackling, worked on his ability to break up play, worked on his reading of the game. And now he's a complete midfielder in the sense that he can play that six role. He can play a lot further forward. He's experienced lots of Champions League games under his belt. And his only crime, really, at Bayern was to not be Joshua Kimmich or Leon Goretzka. He didn't do anything massively <laughs> wrong. The first season he struggled, I think that's fair to say, because he went from being the captain at Leipzig and the main man to suddenly just being one of a number of excellent players. And he did struggle to lever those players out of the way. Early part of this season, when Goretzka had had his knee injury and was recovering from surgery, he did get a lot of game time. But, you know, the, the fact that Jamal Musial has emerged, that's another option they've got in that central midfield area. So he realised he wasn't going to play, especially because Conrad Lyme is going to Bayern in the summer. So I think it's one of those rare transfers where everyone wins. Bayern get him off the wage bill. They don't need him at the moment. He gets game time. And Manchester United get a very low-risk pickup who could do a great job for them in the second half of the season. Yeah, um, I think it's been uh, impressive business to act so swiftly, bearing in mind they weren't prepared to spend any money because, again, they're another club that's in transition. They're being taken over or they're likely to be taken over. Although, let's see about that because uh, I understand that the asking price is nearly £6 billion. And I'm not entirely sure that there's too many people that have, A, got that sort of money, B, willing to pay that sort of cash at this particular moment in time. Bearing in mind, it's a club that needs like, physically rebuilding. The, the stadium needs complete rebuild. Um, there's a lot of investment that needs to go into Manchester United to get them back to the, the sort of super club that they... They once were. Uh, United probably should have added to their lead in the first half. Um, good save by Guaita in that period. Rashford and Shaw combined for the match winner. I mean, he's, he's in a particularly rare run of form. He's been absolutely superb. Uh, but they're, they're on a great run, Manchester United. And if they can continue that in their two games against Leeds United, which you probably would expect them to do, then there's a great chance for them to uh, maybe nick third position. You never know. We shall see. For Southampton and their manager, Nathan Jones, some seriously difficult questions to answer after this game. Going for three, Southampton nil. Season over, maybe, for Liverpool in the Premier League. Seven without a league win, though, for Leeds, and only two in 17, and they remain outside the relegation zone on goal difference. And I think it's Gary O'Neill who needs some divine intervention. Brighton 1, Bournemouth nil. Under the pressure, under the pressure. 
I take full responsibility. I'm not shying away from that at all. And all the responsibility has to fall on me. You know, I look at the game today and I, I don't see me in that team. I don't see me in it in terms of uh, if you've watched my teams play, they're aggressive, they're front-footed. We have to keep working, but the boys have to change that as well. So that's how it is. Disappointed for the lads because they, they put in a good performance against a good side. But yeah, lot, lots of positives. This only happens in the Premier League. Newcastle won, West Ham United won. Yeah, Newcastle into fourth after uh, dropping points against West Ham. But the good news is, if you're a Geordies fan, Crook, is that they've reached 40 points. <laughs> I think the days when that was the ambition uh, of long since passed. Um, I think they'll see this as two points drop, but I, I think this is in keeping with Newcastle's recent form. They aren't quite firing like they were. They aren't the force they were at the start of the season. At an early bold prediction, Eddie Howe goes back to the vitality, back to Bournemouth at the weekend. I think the Cherries, you've only picked up one point since the World Cup. I think they're going to get something from this game. I just, <laughs> I think without Guimaraes, I think Newcastle are a different beast. And I wonder if this cup final, their first cup final since 1999, is weighing heavily on their minds as well. So I think if you're playing Newcastle at the moment, you're not quite as daunted as you may have been early in the season. And I think, you know, with the Tottenham win against Man City, even Brighton, who quietly are sneaking up on the rails and have a game in hand, I think Newcastle are vulnerable in terms of that top four position. Callum Wilson ending his goal drought. Alan St. Maximum playing 70 minutes and coming back into the team. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bournemouth uh, uh, are going to uh, roll them over, Kevin. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that's going to happen. Um, West Ham remained 16th, just one point clear of the dreaded relegation zone. Maybe an encouraging performance, I think, maybe from West Ham United. They're still struggling for goals. They've netted just 17 goals in 20 games this campaign. I want to talk about Nottingham Forest 1, Leeds United 0. I bet you do. Why would I want to talk about that? I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm just looking at the league table. Just trying to, I'll just look at the bottom to see where Nottingham Forest are. Oh, no, 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 just keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Oh, oh, oh the mid table. <laughs> that Steve Cooper fella done well. He's done well to make them hard to beat. I think the style of play is still a little bit drab. They don't score. Oh, oh, give over. Oh. Give over. Oh, my <laughs> word. I've never heard such churlish behaviour. The guys brought them from the bottom of the championship to <laughs> midway in the Premier League with about 400 players being foisted upon him. Give him some credit for doing a terrific job, you Grinch. I'll, I'll give him credit, but if you uh, if you want to buy me a birthday present, don't buy me a Nottingham Forest season ticket. That's all I'm saying. Well, last birthday, what did I buy you? You bought me a Jesse Lingard shirt. <laughs> oh, for what team? Uh, for Nottingham Forest. And to yes, be I fair, <laughs> I've probably made more of an impact wearing that shirt this season than Jesse Lingard has. Yeah. I, 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 on what? <laughs> so far. On my five aside. <laughs> <laughs> I did I go very bold very early and told you that Nottingham Forest would stay yeah. up because Steve Cooper is a very good coach. And the reason I said that is because I thought that he would get them playing in a way that makes them effective. Spending time with him and listening to the way he talks about the game and what he wants to do and then watching it unfold in front of your eyes. It, that's a privilege, right? Okay, so when a coach tells you this is what I want to do and then you watch him do it and you watch the team follow that pattern, you're thinking, great. I remember once sitting in a room, with a darkened room. <laughs> darkened room. All right. Nothing to be sneezed at. Um, a darkened room with um, our friend uh, Roberto Martinez. And he told me, I went to a game, it was a Europa League game against Wolfsburg. And he said to me, this is what's going to happen in the game, Sam. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. 
We're going to play out that out wide. We're going to soak up pressure and then we're going to hit them on the counter-attack. We're going to probably score two goals in the first half and then finish it off in the second. And then I went to the game and it happened. <laughs> and you come away and you just think, wow, this guy's a genius. I mean, there were other things, obviously, that didn't work out for Roberto Martinez. And obviously, since then, he's had some failings. He's had some successes as well. Uh, but I remember that day walking out of that, uh, walking away from that Europa League game and just going, this guy, he's, he's, he's magical. He's like, he's like Harry Potter or something. He can, he can make things happen. To conjure results out of nowhere. Um, but like, it, is, it is a good thing when you see a coach have a plan and then it, it comes to fruition. That is their job at the end of the day. Uh, let's move on to uh, uh, Brentford 3, Southampton 0. Um, Brentford sitting pretty, 7th in the table. Ben Mee, fans can dream of Europe. Is that a possibility, Kev? It is. Uh, and I have to yet again apologise for thinking Brentford would be in relegation danger at the start of this oh. season. Because I genuinely thought without Ericsson, they might really struggle to create. And Thomas Frank has managed to find a structure to allow him to do that. Tony's been brilliant and Burmo's been brilliant. Wissers made an impact as well. That midfield is so strong. Defensively, they've got the platform, brilliant goalkeeper. I think it's just a tremendous success story. It really is. You know what? It is really interesting the amount of stick I get about sticking up for Frank Lampard. Yeah, We don't often point out the fact that this time last year, Crook sat here and said, Brentford would struggle. Mark my words. This second season syndrome. They'll be all right this season, but next season... They'll be down there in the boondocks scraping points <laughs> off the floor. And that didn't happen either, Crook. Well, you, didn't yeah, I say the should... same about Sheffield United when they got relegated? Yeah, that was about three years ago. You did what a great prediction three years Football ago. Football moves quickly. <laughs> yeah, it does, especially in the Crook household. He forgets very quickly what he said last week or even the week uh, before. Um, Southampton, though, you've been pretty consistent since Nathan Jones walked in the door that he should be sacked. Is he going to be? I think his position is on a knife edge. I think when you come out and make the kind of ridiculous statements that he did after that game, um, chucking his players under the bus, chucking the, the backroom team under the bus, maybe even chucking the owners to a certain extent under the bus and certainly chucking the fans under a bus, I think it's hard to see how you come back from that. I know there were talks on Sunday involving Sport Republic, the ownership group of Southampton, about Nathan Jones' future. As we record this on Monday morning, no imminent sign that he will depart. But I think the next... 24 hours the next week. They've got Wolves at home on Saturday. Will be crucial. I think he's lost the dressing room. Um, I think the fact that... Did he ever uh, have it? The f- well, <laughs> he did, I think he, he did to he didn't have the fans for, 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 for the minute he walked in. They weren't having him. You lot weren't no. having him down there on the South Coast, your little South Coast uh, journo mafia. Uh, you wanted him out straight away. And then uh, the players didn't take too long to turn, did they? No, they didn't. I, I think they were willing to give him a chance, um, but I think it's always difficult when you come from a small club like Luton into the big beast that is the Premier League. But I think, you know, there's not huge egos in that Southampton dressing room, so that wasn't necessarily the issue, but I think they're confused by his tactics. So, so, um, so what, 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 what I suppose we need to establish here is, is that why he was so unpopular with so many people so quickly, what is it about him? I mean... Is it the way he conducts himself? Is it what he says in press conferences? Is it the way he comes across? Because ultimately, he seems to have he seems to have annoyed a lot of people in double quick time. He's too confrontational. And you know what? I think we've all seen the, the, the Brian Clough film. And obviously, you know, you can't compare Luton and Southampton to, to uh, Leeds and Derby or Forest. But the way that Brian Clough went in to that dressing room at Leeds and just kept saying, "Well, this is how I've done it." You know, I'm uh, I'm brilliant. 
you lot of rubbish. I think there's there's similarities, you know, and, and that's the message that, that Nathan Jones has been putting across in pre and post match press conferences. The fact that when they win, he describes Southampton as we and us, and when they lose, he immediately reverts to calling them they and points out that they've been rubbish for a year. It just doesn't go down well with anybody. So I think basically he's quickly talking his way out of a job, and it's a shame because it was a massive opportunity. But it was the wrong fit. Well, the thing is, as well, if you look at what he says in public, a lot of it's quite weird. And as you say, quite <laughs> confrontational. And he comes across as mega intense. And a lot of people will yeah. tell you that about him. But if that's the stuff he's saying in public, what kind of stuff is he saying, saying on the training grounds? <laughs> and I, I don't think, you know, Crookie's right about the, the Clough comparison. But I think there's even less leeway now. The stuff you could get away with as a coach in years gone by with players, the Clough thing is a very extreme example, but the stuff you get away with, you can't now because players will just look at you and go, what, what is this? And they'll get rid of you. And we've seen that time and time again at clubs. And I think it's remarkable, truly remarkable, given the kind of leaning towards data that the people at the top of Southampton have, they knew you know, Alex was telling us for months that Hasenhutl was for the chop. How did yep. they come up with Nathan Jones? How did they come up with that name with that amount of time to put things together? It's really quite extraordinary. And yes, he's had a couple of decent results, but the whole vibe is just wrong. Yeah, totally wrong. Um, the good news is, though, is that he's quite entertaining for the rest of us, isn't he? I mean, my favourite <laughs> ever uh, Nathan Jones quotes was one that came out with at Stoke where he said, if you are learning Chinese, you have to speak it all week. And hopefully when you're asked about it, you can speak it. The more we practice our Chinese, the more fluent we become. Someone had asked him what training had been like. <laughs> Listen, uh, <laughs> I- I've had to sit through press conferences with uh, Claude Puel and Manuel Pellegrino at Southampton. Nathan Jones is an absolute legend in that respect. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't think I'll be listening to his ramblings for too much longer. He's just gold dust, isn't he? Um, uh, Brighton 1, Bournemouth nil, Aston Villa 2, Leicester 4. What a bonkers game that ended up being. I'm a little bit worried about um, Aston Villa. I-, I don't think they've played very well under Unai Emery. Um, but they've got a couple of results and they've started to put together um, uh, a couple of uh, points on the board. But I think that was a little bit of a, an exposure by Brendan Rodgers and his team. I don't think that Aston Villa have quite clicked yet under their new manager. Um, we mentioned Nottingham Forest and, and Leeds and we failed to mention Chelsea against Fulham. Well, I stayed in on Friday night to watch that game. Um, I got a pizza. Um, I got uh, a lot of uh, garlic bread. I sat there with my son we sat in front of the TV, all excited, waiting to watch all these brand new signings for Chelsea. Uh, around about 60 minutes, we were Googling vegan recipes on the phone. It was that interesting. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great, was it? Um, although Enzo Fernandez nearly scored a brilliant goal, that would have been a great... Oh, I like him. Yeah, he's yeah, a great player. He's one of my favorites. Uh, and look, it, it, they are. Tr- this is basically a rebuild on steroids, right? They've, they've spent... <laughs> Just a bit. They've spent hundreds of millions. <laughs> They're trying to run... You have to do the walking bit. It's boring, but you have to do the walking bit. And that's what Graham Potter is trying to do. It's going to take time. It's going to get time to get those behaviours where he wants them to be. It's going to get time for him to work out what, not his best 11 is because the squad's too strong for that, but the best approach that gets the most out of these players. Um, But I do think Enzo is going to be the whole thing they build it around. Oh, yeah. Because they've spent that money for a reason. And I think actually, whereas Mudrick has a very high ceiling, I think 
is high risk for the money they've spent. Enzo, even though it's an enormous amount of money, doesn't feel like a risk to me because you can already see the quality he has and he's so consistent. And, you know, Benfica's whole vibe was all built around him. That'll be Chelsea in the next few weeks. You'll see he'll take control of games. He'll set the tempo and they'll look to him. Even though he's young, he's a terrific, magnetic player already. Oh, we obviously he, we were really lucky that when we were in Doha, his family was staying in the same hotel as us. Quite a few of the Argentinians were sort of in and around the hotel. It comes from brilliant family. The family are very, very supportive. They're all geared towards helping him make the success of his career. He has himself quite openly said, you know, I'm not staying at River Plate just to be a bit part player. I want to go to Europe. I want to succeed. He went to Benfica. He even said when he walked in the door at Benfica, he was using it as a trampoline to launch him into greater things. He knew then and there that he was going to go on and be a bigger player than maybe even Benfica could even have imagined when they first signed him. To do it so quickly, I think is is, is incredibly impressive. But, you know, obviously Chelsea have, are going to have ups and downs with him. He's 21 years of age. He's, he's not going to be consistent for the whole of his career, but he is a terrific, terrific player. And I said on the show last Wednesday, I think we were doing it with Adrian. You know, I, I'm not worried about Chelsea spending £105 million on Enzo Fernandez. The rest of the money, there's a few of them there and my eyes are like, oh, okay, where, let's see how that develops. But with him, I think he's solid enough acquisition. Mudrik, I think you're right. I mean, I don't know what happened to Mudrik at half-time in that game, but he came off at half-time and I'm ho- I was hoping it was an injury uh, or a knock or something. Apparently he was Yeah, he wasn't well. He had, a, he had a heavy cold, knocked, didn't yeah. they? They said, I think that was the... <sighs> Bless him. Is that a Phil Foden code or was it a, <laughs> a real one? I'm sorry, no, a, a heavier one. Right, okay. Um, Crookie, thank you very much. Uh, have a good week. Hope, enjoy uh, your trip up to Manchester. I'm looking forward to seeing you. He'll be sitting on this sofa on Thursday doing the podcast in my house. He wouldn't stay in a hotel. He wanted to stay right here. So he's going <laughs> to sleep on the podcast chair on Wednesday night after Manchester United's game against Leeds. Kev, I would invite you, but it's not that big a sofa. Um, thank you very much for your time as well the Game Day podcast returns next Thursday afternoon we'll preview all the weekend's footballing action look back on Manchester United Leeds and uh, look ahead to some cracking games the Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes the latest odds we set them form guides we've got them expert opinions we share them the best fans in the world deserve the best be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to add in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelised Bing Bingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.